Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with your NXT Halloween Havoc instant analysis. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are here just moments after the 2022 edition of NXT Halloween Havoc went off the air to break down every single thing that happened on the penultimate NXT Premium Live event of the year. That's right, we're going to be talking about every single match on the card, every single segment that went down during Halloween Havoc. We'll have match grades, thoughts, analysis, and our opinions on what is going to go down in the future here on NXT with all of these storylines, championships, etc. But it would not be an edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast if I did not begin by reminding you that this show is It's very appropriate now having the Booker T sound drop, given the fact that Booker T is on color commentary for NXT these days. Nevertheless, what that means is that this show is all about the five. We are all about those five-star ratings and reviews. So please do us a favor, take a couple moments, leave those five-star ratings for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Take a few more moments, leave a written five-star review on Apple Podcasts as well. Let everyone know why you listen. Tell them why they should subscribe to the show. The ratings and reviews, super important in helping us grow. And I love that you guys take your time to actually do this. We will read every single five-star review here on the show. So please do not forget to do it. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Not only do we tweet our episodes, our podcast episodes, as soon as they go live, but we also tweet during all the major shows and premium live events, pay-per-views, etc. The Silver King this week got an opportunity to be a part of both uh, Shawn Michaels press conferences leading into and coming out of NXT Halloween Havoc. So we tweet, you know, live stuff from that as well. Of course, we do funny stuff, gifts, videos, all that good crap. Follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast and join in the party. It's also great to interact with you guys. So not only can you uh, drop DMs and tweets with questions and comments that we will read on the show, but I also just converse with you during the shows as well. It's fun to talk about wrestling all week long. Again, follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Now, this would normally be the part of the show where the Silver King would crack a cold one. It is a instant analysis episode. After all, I do it special for these shows. But what I realized recently is whenever I do an instant analysis by myself, and I crack a cold one, I take like two sips and then it sits next to me and gets warm because there's never an opportunity for me to stop talking and actually drink. Now, when Vintage Chris Vanini is on the show, I'm able to pause. And while he's talking, I can take a swig or two or eight and finish the beer relatively quickly. But when I'm by myself, I don't have that chance. So I could do the sound effect and make believe I'm doing it, but I don't want to waste a beer, you know, have it get warm sitting next to me while I do the instant analysis. So just know the Silver King will be enjoying one once this is over. And by the next time we are back with an instant analysis podcast, which I believe will be for WWE Crown Jewel in about two weeks, I'll have a new cold one to crack open. Uh, You can enjoy with me while we do the instant analysis, but I hope you're drinking something as well, whether it be a great beer, some liquor, ice cold water. We are hydro homies here at the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. No beverage I appreciate more than ice cold spring water. That is my deal. Anyway, we're not here to talk about beverages. We are here to talk about NXT Halloween Havoc and deliver you the instant analysis that we promise. So let's go ahead and get to it. 
We will start with the main event of the show and we will go down the card in order of what I feel were the most important matches and happenings on the show. Uh, We'll kick off with a quick overview and then we'll also wrap up with some additional thoughts. And at the end of the incident analysis, we'll discuss our pre-show and post-show grades and find out whether NXT Halloween Havoc lived up to or fell below expectations. So let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, Before we get into the matches briefly, given the new design of the Performance Center, there wasn't really much space that NXT had to do like major set changes to really celebrate the thematic show of Halloween Havoc. But the screens looked really great the way they were colored. There were cobwebs added to the crowd that looked pretty cool. There was light smoke that kind of continuously filled the ringside area. That was a really nice touch. And there was also some Halloween stuff on the entranceway, some jack-o'-lanterns and ghosts and, you know, spooky type of deals. Also, shout out to like four or five fans in the front row across from the hard cam who all dressed up like Scooby-Doo characters. It was really cool to see that the entire show, like a group of people dressed up. And I just really wished more people in the crowd dressed up in costumes, given it was a Halloween show. So NXT really should have like put out like a notice on that. And said, hey, you don't have to dress up, but it'd be really cool if you did. Some people did, most didn't. That was a little bit disappointing. Anyway, let's get to the matches. We will start with the main event. The NXT Championship was on the line in a triple threat match. Braun Breaker defending against Isla Dragunov and JD McDonough. JD was shown meditating backstage. Later, Dragunov was working out with a jump rope when he noticed Chucky, like the doll, uh, watching from a locker and he looks over to it, shrugs, and then just goes on with his day, which I thought was hysterical. Uh, Braun's entrance included him smashing his opponent's tombstones with a shovel because, you know, he breaks stuff. At some point, they're going to run out of things for this guy to break. We'll find out when that happens. Uh, Dragunov and McDonough got their time against each other early. Braun hit a crazy toss belly to belly and a toss backdrop. Isla hit a huge coast to coast on both guys in the corner. JD celebrated while the others fought, which led to them teaming up on him two on one, baby faces versus heel. Breaker took McDonough off the ropes with a Frankensteiner. Dragunov caught him flying, hitting the sit down powerbomb in an incredible spot. You could argue the spot of the entire show. Uh, JD hit a great springboard moonsault onto both guys outside. Dragunov then pulled Breaker off the ropes for a powerbomb. But when Breaker threw him off the cover, McDonough immediately hit him with a 450 splash. I think I said heat him, I meant hit him. But nevertheless, he hit him with a 450 splash immediately right after he fell off the cover. McDonough came back with a brainbuster on Breaker. Isla hit three German suplexes on JD. Breaker joined the third one for a combination German. Braun then hit a flying bulldog and a power slam on Isla, but JD threw him off for another near fall. Dragunov countered the spear with a lifted knee, hitting a flying senton and then torpedo Moscow. But McDonough grabbed the referee's arm just as it was about to hit the canvas for the three count. Dragunov charged McDonough while he was running around the ring, uh, only to be caught cold with JD hitting a standing Spanish fly. It was incredible. JD put his ankle on the steps, uh, Isla's, but missed a chair shot. So Dragunov jumped off the steps and hit him with Torpedo Moscow, knocking him out outside. That basically eliminated McDonough from the match. Then he got back inside. He started trading shots with Breaker. Braun predictably countered Torpedo Moscow with a spear, and he got the win in 24 minutes as JD failed to break the fall one last time. What a freaking main event this was. It was one of the best triple threat matches that I've seen in quite some time. Not one of the best ever, but one of the best in quite some time. The finish, it did become obvious as soon as McDonough stopped the referee. You knew that wouldn't happen again, where uh, you know McDonough wouldn't be getting the fall, but more importantly, Dragunov was not going to be breaker. That was his opportunity and he lost it. So once that happened, 
it was pretty clear that Breaker was retaining the title. But there was also no expectation going into the match that we would see a title change. Now, beyond the booking, this just banged big time. The wrestling was exceptional. Dragunov was easily the MVP of the match. And I came out of it believing he may legitimately be one of the 10 best wrestlers in the world right now. He's definitely one of the five best sellers in the row. Him, Pac over in AEW, and I'm sure we can come up with three others pretty easily, Kota Ibushi or, uh, you know, possibly, uh, I'm missing his name right now, Kazuchika Okada. There are some incredible sellers, but I think Dragunov is in the top five in the world. And like I said, he has a case to be in that top 10 wrestler conversation. He is just exceptional. There is nothing he cannot do. And he emotes like none other. Breaker completely held his own the entire time. His ability level is already insane. And there's basically no major match that he's had where he doesn't meet or exceed expectations. And then McDonough is obviously a great wrestler in his own right. He was used perfectly as the foil for both these guys throughout the entire match. If I had one nitpick, it would be McDonough eating the pin instead of Dragunov, given Breaker already beat him. And we certainly don't need him putting the title up a third time against JD coming out of the Joe Gacy thing where that went on too long. His, his feud before that went on too long. I don't want to see Braun and JD again. What I would have liked to have happen would have been Breaker to hit the spear on Dragunov just as they did. JD break the cover or push him off to try to get the cover and then Breaker spear JD and get the win with JD already hobbled from eating Torpedo Moscow outside. If you do that, you're protecting Dragunov a little bit, the guy who never lost the NXT UK Championship, let's not forget, while simultaneously pinning McDonough, who already lost a breaker, so it doesn't really matter. I would have booked it that way. It's a little bit of a gripe. It's minor. But this match was fantastic. That's really the main point. And to think it came on the same show as another top-tier match that we'll talk about in a little bit, it's just silly. I did have some time to rewatch parts of this, while waiting for Shawn Michaels during the conference call. I'll give you some notes on that later. And it just confirmed my grade here. 4.75 stars and an A+. It may have been the best NXT match involving U.S. competitors since the end of the black and gold era. Obviously, I'm excluding Walter and Dragunov here. That was one of the best matches of the entire year. This was just exceptional. And now I'm at a point where I don't know how NXT takes the title off Braun, I'm beginning to believe it's going to be someone from the main roster who comes down kind of like Dolph Ziggler, takes the title off of him and allows him to progress in another area. But they're stuck because they put the title on him so quickly and he's been so good with it that they don't want to beat him and keep him in NXT. So it's almost like they can't beat Breaker until they're ready to call him up. And that is NXT's own fault for putting the title on him so quickly and being stuck in this scenario. But he's held the title for most of the last 300 days And for the most part, the wrestling and him carrying the belt has worked. It's just a lot of the feuds have gone on long and there's been some frustration in in some of the booking with Joe Gacy, as we talked about. And now this, we're going to find out if this is going to continue, if they're going to have another match at NXT deadline, which we'll talk about in a little bit, or if this is the blow off for both of them and someone new comes into the picture like a Carmelo Hayes or an Apollo Crews or someone like that. So we will find all of that out in due time. Let's move to the NXT Women's Championship, Mandy Rose defending against Alba Fire. So before the show, Alba dared Mandy to meet her in this creepy location. Rose watched the video from Alba with Toxic Attraction. They asked her not to go. She decided to go anyway. 
When they all arrived in a white Range Rover, all three of them, J.C. Jane was scared, but Gigi Dolan was about it, given they had a three-on-one advantage. It ended up being a haunted mansion. J.C. was the only one that had any sense, like knowing horror movie tropes. Gigi got overconfident. She no-sold the whole thing. That allowed Alba to get up on her. Mandy got distracted by an organ. That allowed Alba to choke her out with a baseball bat and then dump her in the SUV, leaving Toxic behind at the mansion after they both ate bat shots as well. This was extremely well done. JC was hysterical being the smartest one in the room and the acting from both her and Gigi, it was surprisingly solid. Using this as a way to even the odds for the title match was super smart and Alba actually looked pretty badass with like the pumpkin look over half her face. She had like face paint on and just coming out of this, she seemed really smart and strong as a baby face where you're like, oh my God, yeah, it's a great way to even the odds and give her the opportunity to win the title clean. So... As the ambulance drove off from the ambulance match, which we'll get to that later, their SUV, Alba and Mandy, drove into the PC. This was a great transition from one segment to the next. There was no break, no ring entrances, nothing. Alba threw Mandy in the ring. The bell rang with Mandy's jacket still on. Rose ate a tornado DDT, but quickly got the upper hand. Alba came back with like a one-arm Liger bomb and a Swanton bomb, but Toxic ran in and broke the fall as she was about to uh, theoretically get the one, two, three. Alba super kicked JC Jane off the apron. She fell into the referee who for some reason was outside and Gigi Dolan. Then she hit the gory bomb on Mandy, but there was no one to cover. Fire threw the referee back into the ring only to eat the tag team finisher from Toxic, which still doesn't have a name after more than a year at ringside. Mandy then ran and caught her with Kissed by a Rose for the one, two, three in seven minutes. So we got an incredible lead up making Alba look like a potentially smart, and strong babyface potential champion only for Toxic to just pull their normal shit and take out easily the top contender in the division for the title. At this point, the only way this makes sense is if they are either going to have Mandy top Shayna Baszler for second longest reign in NXT history, or if Alba is getting called up, or if they're going to like strap up Roxanne Perez or something. But here's the problem. Roxy, who's most likely the only one deserving of the title, maybe you could make an argument for Zoe Stark, even though she had her opportunity and lost it already. She's, Roxy's 20 years old. And it's just totally unnecessary this early in her career and early in her time in WWE to strap her up with the title, especially given what we just talked about with Braun Breaker. So we don't know that that's gonna happen. I'm just telling you the only three plausible reasons why they wouldn't have had Mandy Rose drop the title here. But this booking was completely nonsensical. How the fuck did Toxic get back to the PC? By like calling an Uber from the middle of nowhere and that was able to get them and get back to the performance center only five minutes behind Alba who knew exactly where she was going and left those two like laying for dead with bat shots to the stomach. That made the entire segment pointless. Even the wrestling was poorly booked because Mandy seemed to like get at least 50%, if not the majority of the offense, despite starting the entire thing at a clear disadvantage. This is Mandy Rose, not Roman Reigns. We're at the point where like a meteor could hit Earth, obliterating everything. And the only things that would survive are cockroaches, Twinkies, and Mandy Rose's NXT Women's Champion. So just let me be clear about this. The Haunted Mansion segment on its own That was an A, but for a match grade, taking everything into account, 
with blatant interference and a distraction finish and, you know, not doing a title change after all this time when she was clearly, she being Alba, the right person to win the championship. I'm not even going with the booking. I'm talking about the the match and all that, but 2.25 stars in a C. The women's title has completely lost its luster at this point. Not because Mandy was champion or is champion, but because she's been the champion for so damn long. NXT threw away a perfect opportunity to take the title off of her here and put it on the brand's best wrestler, which would elevate the title and elevate everyone who challenges for the title. There's really one word to describe this, and it's lame. This was lame. I am pissed off. I'm pissed to the highest level of pissedivity. And I've been saying this for months, really. The main event scene in NXT, men and women, it has been bland and boring for quite some time now. The tag team division, the mid-card, a lot of feuds that had nothing to do with championships, they've been great. Like, really high-quality wrestling television. But the main event scene with the two major championships on the brand have just been bleh for a really long time. Mandy has now had her title for nearly a calendar year. Braun has held his for 260 of the last 290 days. They don't need to be hot potatoes, these titles. But this is starting to get ridiculous to have both scenes dominated this long simultaneously. If you divide all of WWE up by divisions, like main event men, main event women, tag team men, tag team women, mid-card men across all the brands, whatever, four of the 10 title pictures in the entire company right now have been stagnant for the better part of the year because no one is allowed to win the titles off the people who are holding them. And three of those are heels and one of those, Braun Breaker, is a baby face. Hopefully things are going to get shaken up soon, especially in NXT. Again, this is the penultimate premium live event. They are going to do one more NXT deadline. We will talk about that in detail a little bit more later. So there is one more coming. And I guess they could change titles before the end of the year. They could also wait and try to do it around WrestleMania. If we get to that, then we're talking about Mandy Rose possibly breaking Asuka's record, which is just unfathomable. And it has nothing to do really with Mandy not being good in the ring, like work rate wise. It's just the title reign is bad. With Asuka, it was dominant. You believed in her. She elevated the championship, elevated herself and became a major player on the main roster. That's not what Mandy Rose is. She's a square peg in a round hole right now in terms of being the champion and being this dominant of a champion. It's not working. So we're going to see what NXT ends up doing. But I was massively disappointed by the booking in this women's championship match. And you know what? In the in the pre-show, uh, in our uh, ultimate preview and in our live pre-show, I talked about how all of my predictions were baby babyfaces uh, winning their matches and how it was probably unlikely that that actually happened because since when do you have a six-match card and all the baby faces win? Well, this was the match where the babyface didn't win and it was the one match where the babyface absolutely, positively needed to win. So that is also part of my disappointment. But really, simply, besides that, besides not liking the booking, to give them seven minutes to do this match after the great build leading into it, it was rushed. It wasn't executed well. Mandy, of course, is not very good in the ring. And just the pacing of it and the booking of it, having her get the upper hand for so long is why I didn't like it and why I ultimately gave it a low C. Let's move on to some stuff that was much better than this. We had the North American Championship ladder match. This opened the show. It was five guys, Carmelo Hayes, Wesley, Oro Mensa, Von Wagner, and Nathan Frazier. Frazier hit a froggy crossbody outside on Wagner to start. 
Wagner powerbombed Frazier onto a ladder propped on the middle rope in the corner. Frazier took Mello off a ladder with a missile dropkick, only for Wesley to take him out with a falling ladder seated sent on. Mensa hit a springboard moonsault with Wes on a ladder. Then Trick Williams helped Mello hit a springboard leg drop onto Mensa on top of a ladder. Frazier caught Mello for a springboard Spanish-style leg sweep, which is what I'm calling it, off the ropes onto a ladder. Trick dumped Mensa off a ladder outside onto four guys, but Oro seemed to like clip the ring apron on his way down. Luckily, he was okay and all the other guys were okay. Uh, Trick and Mr. Stone climbed simultaneously with Stone hitting Trick with his shoe, and then Trick pushing the ladder with Stone falling outside the ring. Wagner then threw the ladder outside onto two guys. He tried to get a tall ladder from under the ring, and as he was like pulling it out, they didn't realize, I guess, the length of the ladder and the ringside area that they had to, to navigate with the barricade. He almost like jammed it into a woman's face. And like she leaned back and was like, holy shit, I almost got like taken out and decapitated by this ladder. Luckily, she wasn't. And it continued, but I did laugh at that moment. Uh, Wagner got knocked into a ladder or onto a ladder, I'm sorry, that he set up between the apron and the barricade by Frazier. Frazier then hit a huge frog splash off the ropes knocking him through the ladder that I just talked about that was set up. Mello then jumped off the barricade for a clothesline, only for Wesley to jump off the steps for a cannonball onto Mello. Wagner recovered a little bit too quickly and literally lifted Wesley over his head from inside the ring, throwing him outside like a rag doll into the announce table. Wesley bounced off of it and it didn't break. The crowd rightly went wild for this. It was a crazy ass spot. And I saw some people say, oh, they botched it. The table was supposed to break. I actually don't think the table was supposed to break. I think it was supposed to blunt his momentum. And I think even if it was supposed to break, they're lucky it didn't because it accomplished that. So it was a crazy spot, great to look at. And it delivered in that moment. Frazier and Mensa combined to dump Wagner between the two sets of barricades, the black cushion ones and the plexiglass that they have in NXT. Mello put a ladder between the rungs and the middle ropes. Wesley ran up a ladder ramp from the outside into the ring. He knocked Mello off the top. They brawled on like a ladder bridge with Lee hitting a Meteora off one ladder onto Mello who was laying across another one. That didn't break, but Lee climbed anyway and he ripped down the title in one motion, which was really cool actually, for the win in 20 minutes. This was an exceptional opener in like every sense of the word exceptional. If this was on the main roster and all of these guys had like a couple years more seasoning to make things a little bit more smooth, it might have been a five-star match. Some of the spots were ridiculous, not necessarily unique, but just done at such a high level and a high rate of speed and efficiency that it was kind of remarkable to see. Outside of Wagner not selling the frog splash long enough, which wasn't even really his fault because of the match pacing, he had to go and get ready for the next spot. This avoided the crap that we see so frequently in these matches. They're pure spot fest, no one sells, blah, blah, blah. Everyone sold their asses off during this match. Again, except for that one Wagner spot. But even then, it wasn't that crazy giving you such a big guy. This was definitely a match where we got the right winner with the right booking. The underdog took the biggest spot of the match, yet still was able to rally and come out on top. Everyone involved was elevated coming out of it, Wagner included. And that spot between him and Lee that I just mentioned where he threw him like a ragdoll outside the ring, you are going to see that on highlight reels for years to come. This is exactly what you want from a ladder match. And best of all, everyone seemed to come out of it healthy, despite there being a couple weird moments. Extremely well done from start to finish. I went 4.5 stars and an A for this. Beyond the match and the work rate, 
you could really tell Wesley was like legitimately emotional winning the title and celebrating. He had like a crazy bro hug with Shawn Michaels backstage that they actually put on social media. They were both crying in each other's arms. He's obviously been through a lot. We'll talk about him a little bit more later, but you could tell it meant a lot to him. He was the right winner. We talked about it. We broke down the five people in the match, did process of elimination, and it came down to him or Nathan Frazier as the two guys who could be most elevated for the win. And with Frazier still kind of new to NXT and Wesley having been through so much, he was the right person to win it. I'm really excited to see him with the championship. I don't necessarily think he's going to have a long title reign. Maybe it's like two, three, four months, something like that. But he was the right person to win the title. He's going to be a good champion. And the match quality of what he's going to do going forward should be exceptional. So I am very enthusiastic about him winning the championship. Uh, Roxy and Perez fought Cora Jade in a weapons wild match. Roxy used her skateboard after the bell as a shield. Uh, Jade sprayed something in her face, then swung her into the barricade by her legs, wrapped her in a trash can and stomped her. Then she choked her with a rope. Perez came back using Jade's wrapped kendo sticks and hit a white Russian leg sweep. Uh, shout out to the Sandman. Love that move. Plus a hurricanrana out of the corner. Roxy followed Cora into the crowd and then up to the crow's nest. Jade removed the railing from the crow's nest and Perez had her dead to rights, but she hesitated before basically doing like a mutual pratfall into like a cushioned platform that was set up below instead of doing a move. Back in the ring, Corey yelled that Roxy was never her friend. Perez answered that by back body dropping her into a stack of chairs. Then Roxy picked her up and yelled that Cora was always her friend and did pop rocks into the same stack of chairs to get the win in 12 minutes. Obviously the right winner here coming out of Roxy losing on SmackDown and NXT with Cora winning their first match and escaping Pick Your Poison with a DQ win last week. But not only that, Roxy had to win the feud because she has the brighter future. She's the A side of this pairing. The pratfall spot, it was disappointing because it looked like a stunt. If they had done a real move like a backdrop or a Uranagi or something like that, it would have been insane. But it just looked like, oh, we're going to do the. And again, I'm not faulting anyone for being safe. That's not my point. But if you're going to do a move like that, make it be a move. Don't just like fall together, which is basically what they did. Now that could have been a little botch. Like maybe she was supposed to do a backdrop and pick her up and she fell or, you know, it's tough to say what happened in the heat of the moment. It just didn't really look good for a spot that was that big and was clearly the focal point of the entire match. The rest of it though was really high quality. Both benefited from the feud. It was smart how Roxy was a pure babyface in the finish, screaming that Cora was actually her friend the entire time. And it was also really cool that Booker T was able to act like a proud father when Roxy won, given he legitimately trained her before she went to Ring of Honor and eventually NXT. Uh, one more reminder. These women are 20 and 21 years old, respectively. It's absolutely insane. They both have a crazy bright future. I went 3.5 stars and a B for this match. Uh, Julius Creed fought Damon Kemp in an ambulance match. Now, due to the limitations of the arena, the ambulance wasn't able to pull all the way in, so it was in a loading dock. But NXT was actually pretty smart here because they lined up some fans with like a barricade so they could keep up the energy around the ambulance even when they were not in the regular arena. Uh, Kemp came out with a chair that had Julius's name on it. Creed chucked pumpkins at him during his entrance. Uh, one of them hit the chair, which ricocheted into... Damon's head. And I don't know if that was on purpose, but it was pretty awesome when it happened. They used crutches and a fire extinguisher. Creed ate a falling Uranagi into steel steps, but put Kemp in a wheelchair, trapped him with a crutch across the arms of the wheelchair, and then drove him face first into the steel steps on the ring apron. 
Julius literally threw the ring bell at Damon, but he used a chair as a shield to block it. Creed nearly lost. He got thrown inside the ambulance, but he saved himself three consecutive times. First, by getting one arm between the doors as they were being closed, and then twice letting Camp slam the door on both his hands that were gripping it so it wouldn't close. When Julius escaped after that, he went absolutely wild. It was like he caught a second wind. He eventually uh, wore Kemp out at ringside with 11 chair shots, basically getting revenge for his brother, uh, Brutus, who got a bunch of chair shots from Kemp. Then he powerbombed him into the stretcher and he put a chair on him. And I think the spot was he was supposed to use the stretcher to wheel him to the ambulance. But when he powerbombed him into the stretcher, half of it like broke because it was, I mean, it's a huge guy getting powerbombed into a stretcher. So he put a chair on top of him. He punched the chair into Damon Kemp's face. And then he picked him up, put him over his shoulder, dumped him in the ambulance, shut the door and got the win in 14 minutes. And then after the bell, Brutus and Ivy Nile celebrated with Julius in the ring. This match was an absolute war. It was really well booked with some clever callbacks and spots, including the chair shot receipts that I just mentioned and the hands in the door. I've never seen that in an ambulance match before. Again, I'm not saying it hasn't happened. I just don't remember someone literally using their hands as a way to stop it like that, at least that many times. To do it three times in succession like that was crazy. Uh, It wasn't the best ambulance match I've ever seen, but there was also never a down moment here either. It was just two big meaty men kicking each other's asses. So I'm going to go 3.75 stars, B-plus for the match, four slabs of beef. It wasn't quite five. We've had some meaty freaking matches this year with Brock Lesnar and Bobby Lashley and Roman Reigns and Lesnar with a tractor. So that five slabs of beef, that's a new level. It's going to be very tough to actually reach that again, but it does get four slabs of beef here. I was surprised not to see Roderick Strong at all, but it was also nice that he didn't factor into the finish and Julius was able to get a clean win. But now at this point, I'm really curious what the plan is with him. Like, did they do the hospital spot to completely write him off? Are they going to give him the release? Does he still want his release now that Triple H is in charge? Are they going to write him back into the show? Are they, with, with you know, um, Diamond Mine and everything, are they going to bring him up to the main roster? I'm just really curious to see what's going to happen with Roderick Strong here. Uh, in terms of everything else, I believe the stipulation now means that Brutus gets to fight Damon Kemp one-on-one again. So I don't know if we'll see that on Tuesday or maybe two weeks on NXT, but that should be coming up soon. But beyond that, I don't really know where they go with this now. So it will be interesting to see uh, the way this develops. Apollo Crews fought Grayson Waller in a spin the wheel, make the deal match. Now they spun the wheel during the pre-show, which, you know, I guess it's incentive to watch the pre-show in the future, but I kind of like the idea of both of the guys like in the ring and then someone coming out, Shotzi and spinning the wheel, and then them learning in that moment what the stipulation is. I think that would have been cooler. Nevertheless, it landed on a casket match. That was, it's a fun booking, uh, because casket matches are always cool and different. It was the first casket match in NXT history. But it also seemed random, given the stipulation, because the storyline has been about eyes. So how it was not a blindfold match, or a lights-out match, or something like that, was just a shocking decision. It, It didn't make any sense given what the entire feud has been about. So Druids brought out a casket before the match, and luckily they were not the schism Druids. They were just Druids. Uh, After Waller did his springboard elbow, he and Cruz honored the Undertaker-Brock Lesnar dual sit-up spot. Waller thumbed Cruz's eyes while he was on the top rope and then pushed him off the ropes 
with Cruz flying through the closed casket. His body was probably seven eighths of the way inside with Waller thinking he won because the guy's body was in there and there was no lid for him to shut. Suddenly the lights turn out. Cruz is gone. They turn back on and he basically like respawns. Like what's that video game? Uh, Halo. I haven't played it since college. Like Halo where you respawn and you're suddenly in another spot. So that's what happened with Apollo Cruz. He suddenly respawns. And now he's kind of like leading the druids out from the back with another casket that was twice the size and twice the quality of the first one. So then Cruz slams Waller into the steel steps. He tosses him from his chest overhead for a Samoan drop. Uh, Cruz then moonsaulted him off the steps and hit a gut buster. They battled in the casket. Cruz hit a frog splash off of it. Waller countered Cruz running with his rolling cutter. Cruz countered a tombstone pile driver attempt into another gut buster. Waller failed on a rolling cutter on the apron, which was the fact that he was even able to do it was pretty impressive, but he failed. He also failed on a choke slam attempt with Cruz catching him for what was basically an almighty spine buster right into the casket to get the win, slamming the lid in 13 minutes. So the booking of the finish, the wrestling that I just described was pretty strong, but the gimmick choice, the spot with the really shitty first casket and the druids themselves were just kind of completely eye rolling. And then between those markers, the wrestling itself was decent. It wasn't necessarily great. It was like a good enough way to end the feud, but it really didn't make much storyline sense as again, a blindfold match or a lights out match would have. Plus this cruise gimmick, it's just going nowhere fast. Turns out I just, in NXT, anything that involves druids, I don't like it. The Joe Gacy stuff, this, just keep all this away from me. Uh, I'm going to go with 2.75 stars and a C plus here because just there was nothing actively wrong with it, but it also really was not exciting. And once they did the false finish with um, Cruz taking the the swan dive or whatever you want to call it into the casket, the crowd kind of lost interest. The rest of the match just seemed to like kind of plot along a little bit. I did like that Waller tried and failed to do multiple Undertaker moves and Cruz took advantage of him every single time he did that. But again, at the same time, it just really wasn't exciting enough to really, you know, get me amped up beyond a C plus. So again, 2.75 stars and a C plus. Now that was the sixth and final match on the card, but there were a number of other things that actually happened during Halloween Havoc. So Shotzi and Quincy Elliott opened the show with a little performance. After 90 minutes, Shotzi came back out dressed like Beetlejuice, think like Michael Keaton, not Howard Stern, uh, with Quincy as a banana. Lash Legend came out talking shit to Shotzi, basically saying she's a host and that Shotzi isn't, and Shotzi should go back to SmackDown. Quincy called her out for her show getting canceled and said she was horrific on the mic. Uh, It ended with Shotzi DDTing Lash, and this was fine as an interlude, but it was kind of stupid and just set up a match for NXT this week. Instead of doing two matches with Shotzi, I know she was the host, but they really should have probably just done this all together at once and saved a little time. That's what I would have done. A short vignette aired with a Bane-like mask getting thrown into a barrel of fire. At first... It took me a good 30 seconds. I couldn't figure out the reference, but then I very quickly realized it was T-Bar's mask back from, you know, WWE main roster. So it looks like we're getting Dijak, and I don't know what his name's going to be. Chris Dijak, Donovan Dijak, Donovan Dijakovic, who the hell knows? Looks like we're getting him back in NXT. That's going to be a fantastic development so he can regroup with a new gimmick, reestablish himself before hopefully rejoining the main roster. You look at everyone from Retribution, they're either not in WWE anymore, or they're finally just now kind of getting revitalized. So, you know, Mia Yim, Shane Thorne, both of them gone. 
uh, Dijak just now getting something. Mustafa Ali had already reverted back to being Ali, but hadn't done much for a long period of time. And then obviously uh, Dio Madden, now Masse coming out of being Mace, of course, in Maximum Male Models. These guys are just now, after all of this time, it's been nearly two years, they're finally overcoming uh, Retribution, the ones that are still in WWE. So it's great to see the Dijak, the last of them, to get this opportunity is finally getting his chance. And obviously we need to see what happens. I don't know how long of a tease this is going to be, but man, I don't even know if I would wait. Maybe just bring him out Tuesday and have him do something. But you want to talk about someone else, by the way, who could take the championship off Braun Breaker, believably? He could do it. Will he? I doubt it. But he's another guy, strong, athletic. He could really put on a great match and series of matches with Braun. That would be something interesting if they actually go in that direction. Just excited that he's going to get another opportunity. And he didn't really do enough on the main roster where bringing him back to NXT is a negative in any way. The question probably is how much longer is his contract? And is he going to want to stay with WWE after this? Or perhaps he already re-signed maybe because Triple H is there and actually believes in him. That would be curious to find out. I don't have that answer right now, but I will try to find out for you. A pretty deadly talk trash backstage before their title match this coming Tuesday. Caden Carter and Katana Chance challenged them, basically saying that they, the women, not them, the men, were the greatest tag team in NXT. Later, Zoe Starks spoke about her injury and how it occurred basically one year ago. And Nikita Lyons said they wanted to win the titles together. Malik Blade and Idris Sanofe then came up with all four face challengers excited for their opportunities on Tuesday. These were fun interactions that you kind of wouldn't really expect but they were nothing more than that. I don't know that this all needed to be on the show. I know they wanted to promote NXT on Tuesday. It just felt like a lot of wasted time. Uh, Chase U was in session. Speaking about wasted time on the show, uh, Andre Chase was upset with the class for not doing well on their Halloween Havoc trivia. Duke Hudson arrived as a transfer student. Bodie Hayward was upset, but Hudson kept a smile on his face and acted happy to be there. Bodie got answers wrong. Duke got them right. That obviously pissed Bodie off. Hayward told Chase that he didn't trust Hudson. And Chase agreed, but said he had to do better in the class no matter what. Solid as usual, the Chase U stuff is always good, but there's some that really pop you and make you laugh. And there's others kind of like this, where you're just like, all right, you're moving a story along. But again, this really did not need to be on Halloween Havoc. It just felt like wasted time. A schism cut a taped promo saying NXT wouldn't listen to them. So now they'll deliver their message by force. They told the person in the red hoodie that they'll be able to remove their yellow mask on Tuesday. Then the guys put on the yellow masks themselves saying four roots, one tree. I remain convinced this is a woman and I remain pretty convinced it's Isla Dawn. Would certainly make sense. We'll find out obviously on Tuesday. Uh, Like I said, a couple of these segments that I just read, they would have been okay, but there was way too much extra stuff between the matches with six matches and one, two, three, four, and five extra segments that were really seven extra segments because two of them were two-parters. It's just way too much. The show went too long. The, the bread and butter of NXT takeovers and NXT premium live events, whatever you want to call them now, is five matches, two and a half hours with a couple segments in between. That's what you want. I would, You know what I would have loved to have seen? Instead of some of these segments, a couple of main roster superstars dressed up in costume watching from the crowd, or maybe not even in costume, but watching backstage or from the crowd or something like that. That would have been fun. This was just way too much jammed into one show. You cut this whole thing down by 30 minutes you got a much tighter, overall better presentation. That's what I would do. Now let's go over our grades for NXT Halloween Havoc. We're talking overall show grades. Obviously, I already gave you my match grades. Now the pre-show expectation grades, the Silver King came in with a B plus. 
I was thinking about it before the show, and I did want to lower my pre-show expectation grade just a little bit. I'm not saying it wasn't a B plus anymore, but I wanted to bring it to basically the lowest B plus that it possibly could be. Really, I wanted to give it a B. I wanted to change the grade. I couldn't do it. But when I looked at the card a second time and I I realized like what the matches were going to be, how they were very stipulation heavy, I just didn't necessarily think it would deliver as well as I initially expected on the Ultimate Preview. But nevertheless, I was at a B plus. I'm staying at a B plus for my pre-show expectation. And you, the listeners, got a chance to vote on our Twitter poll, as always, at Getting Overcast. We do pre- and post-show polls before and after every pay-per-view and premium live event. And you guys came in with 21% A, 76% B, and 3% C, no Ds or Fs. That basically averages out to like a 3.7, which is right in the upper B, lower B plus range, which is about where I sat coming into Halloween Havoc. That, that's really the exact same range I had. Now, coming out of the show, I think everyone pretty much felt the same way, but they felt differently, which I found to be interesting. What do I mean when I say the same but different? This is what I mean. So there was a higher percentage of A's than the pre-show expectation grade. 34% A compared to 21%. That means for many of you who watched the show, it exceeded your expectations. There were 52% B, so obviously the A's had to come from somewhere, but there were also 11% C's compared to 3% on the pre-show expectation grade. That means for many of you, the show exceeded your expectations, and for others, it actually fell below your expectations, and the average grade ends up basically the same area, 3.7, which is right around that high B, low B plus range. And guess what? That's exactly where I stand. To me, what that means is this show met our expectations. It delivered a couple really high quality matches. We're talking about the main event, the triple threat, Braun Baker, Isla Dragunov, and JD McDonough, and the North American Championship match, the Fatal Five-Way ladder match. Both absolutely fantastic. No-brainer A matches. As I said, I went 4.5 for the title match, for the, I'm sorry, the uh, ladder match. It's late, folks. I'm doing the best I can here. I went 4.5 stars A for the ladder match. I went 4.75 stars A plus for the Triple Threat NXT Championship match. And then you go ahead and look at the rest of the card. I had two matches in the C range. It was the Mandy Rose Alba Fire match for all the reasons that I explained and the Apollo Crews Grayson Waller match, which didn't really hit. And then I had two more matches in the B range, the Julius Creed, Damon Kemp. I think I gave that a B plus, 3.75 stars. And Roxanne Perez, Cora Jade, I gave it a flat 3.5 B. So we had, again, two A's, two A range, two B range, two C range. And I don't think that's a bad thing. That's really around what a premium live event or pay-per-view card, what you should expect from that. You're not going to get a NXT TakeOver New Orleans, right? Every time you see one of these. And even expecting all Bs and As is a lot to ask. It's not saying that it's impossible. It's just not the most likely thing to happen. So more than anything else coming out of this, NXT Halloween Havoc met my expectations. In a couple of ways, it exceeded it because two matches were so outstanding that I just didn't expect them to be that damn good, even though I did expect them to be good, but it also in some ways fell below my expectations for the matches we already talked about. So in the end, again, it met my expectation. You want to give it a 3.7, right? Like at a 5.0, something like that. Then yeah, that's a very high B, you know, low B plus. I just thought it was a very good show. Uh, Shawn Michaels in the um, pre-show conference call that I was a part of earlier this week, he called Halloween Havoc 
NXT's SummerSlam, referring to stand and deliver around WrestleMania season, obviously, as their WrestleMania. And I found that interesting. You know, I don't necessarily know that I agree that a thematic show like this can be equivalent to a SummerSlam, but clearly it's a signature show for NXT, and they did deliver massively on this show. So they should be really proud of themselves. The wrestling was awesome. The entertainment value was high, but did it go a little bit too long? Yes, and were a couple matches from a, both a booking and a playout standpoint, were they what they should have been? They weren't, and that did bring it overall down a little bit. Because I'll tell you something, if they did make a title change to Alba Fire and Apollo Crews and Grayson Waller wasn't a casket match, there's a very good chance that the vast majority of voters here are in the A range. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. So look, you know, you can't get everything you want. And when we book the damn territory on this show, right, we can't expect WWE or AEW or any company to do things exactly the way we want. But the goal is if you don't do, you know, what we hope or what we expect or or what our wishes might be, it just needs to be good and entertaining and it needs to make sense. And that's where things fell short. There were a couple things that didn't make sense and weren't as good as they possibly could have been for those reasons. And that's why it got the grade that it did. Again, very good grade, something to be proud of. Was there room for improvement or room to exceed expectations even further? Absolutely there was. Now, as I did mention, I joined the post-show press conference with Shawn Michaels as well. It's really cool to hear him on these, um, both of these. So when Triple H does them, he's like stoic and serious. And yes, you know, he'll he'll crack a joke here or there and have a little fun. But Shawn Michaels approaches it like, I don't even know the way, like as if he's in a scrum with friends, like with his feet up on a couch, smoking a cigar, just kind of like enjoying everything, right? Like he doesn't take it seriously at all. I mean, he takes it seriously in that it's important to him, but he doesn't take it seriously in that like he's worried about perception of him or, or the things he says or the way he comes off. It's just really cool to hear him in that type of environment. And Shawn Michaels in this role, he's just become... I don't want to say a different person, but from a wrestling standpoint, like from, you know, I've interviewed Sean probably three or four times in my life. And this is the most relaxed and probably the most himself that he's ever seemed before. And I just found that to be very enjoyable as someone who's listening and participating on the call. But he sounded like a a proud father here. I guess more in this case, a proud uncle, given it's Papa H and he's probably Uncle Sean. But he put over JD McDonough, huge. Like he basically almost said, he's my favorite wrestler in NXT. That's how much he appreciates his in-ring ability. He obviously heavily praised Isla Dragunov and Braun Breaker as well. He made an interesting comment on the call that he didn't really feel ready to be like a full-time professional wrestler where he knew he was good in the ring until he was five years into the business. Yet right now, people like Braun Breaker, Cora Jade, and Roxanne Perez are basically most of them only a year in the business. Obviously, Roxanne had experience in Ring of Honor you know, before that, but they're very new in the business and they're already doing exceptionally well. And he just thinks that's absolutely amazing. Uh, he was asked about you know, if NXT is going to tour internationally. He mentioned, obviously, NXT Europe is coming up in 2023. But what was interesting is he shouted out specifically NXT Japan and NXT Mexico. And he basically said, Look for those to potentially be announced at some point in 2023 after NXT Europe gets up and running. And to me, I don't think he was supposed to say that. That sounded like inside information that like he just flew off the cuff and said. So we'll see if that actually transpires. 
maybe he put the cart before the horse. I would find it hard to believe that they would get Europe up and running and then inside of a year already start Japan and Mexico when they didn't do it previously. So we'll see what happens there. He did mention that NXT is going to leave Orlando for premium live events beginning in 2023 and possibly even regular events after that. They're going to basically do the premium live events elsewhere. My assumption is see what those draw from a ticket selling standpoint. And if they do well, maybe take NXT on tour, either for TV tapings or potentially, you know, live house shows or things like that. That'll be interesting. Uh, he did confirm, he said this in the in the uh, pre-show conference call, and he said it again in the post-show conference call, that the next premium live event is going to be NXT Deadline, which will be on December 10th. Now, that is indeed the same day, it's a Saturday, uh, that AEW will be holding Ring of Honor Final Battle, which is obviously that last pay-per-view of the year. Now, Final Battle is going to be at 4 p.m. Eastern. Uh, the explanation given by AEW is that they didn't want to run head-to-head with the Heisman Trophy ceremony. But what's astounding here, and I, I, I just couldn't believe it when I heard it, is that the Army-Navy game, for anyone who's a college football fan out there, is also Saturday, December 10th, and it runs in the middle of the day. And the Army-Navy game gets five times the ratings as the Heisman Trophy ceremony, which no one watches anymore. So so uh, Ring of Honor, ROH through AEW, put their show in the afternoon against heavier competition and left open the evening window, which NXT is now going to run directly against the Heisman Trophy ceremony. Again, not as much competition as the Army-Navy game. So I don't know why they did that. Um, is NXT doing this to take some of the thunder away from Ring of Honor on the same day? Maybe. It's quite possible that they are. It's the second time that something like this happened. The last time, uh, I think they did Worlds Collide in the afternoon and Ring of Honor had an evening show. I believe that was the case. You know, is Tony Khan gonna say again that he's tired of this fucking shit? I mean, maybe. We'll find out. Uh, We'll see what Triple H has to say about it if he does address it at any point. You know, if when NXT uh, does do a pre-show press conference for it, I'll probably join in and maybe ask that question or something like that. But it is something worth noting, at least at this point. But again, there's one more show coming, one more premium live event before the end of the year. NXT deadline, December 10th. Technically not announced yet in the evening, but I do presume it'll be 8 p.m. Eastern. And lastly, I did mention DiJack earlier. Sean basically confirmed that it's a teaser for him without saying as much. But when he did so, he noted that people in WWE see that fans get angry with someone's character or how a wrestler is being used or not used. And the way he explained that as like, look, we know, and we're doing the best we can. It almost sounded like, look, folks, it's clear that you guys had a lot of issues with what was going on previously under the former regime. And we heard you and knew the entire time. And we're doing the best we can to incrementally fix all of those issues. And we're not going to be perfect. And Sean said this. He's like, we're not going to be perfect. We're not going to hit every single person out of the park. You're not going to love every single thing that we do. But the point is to develop and try things and see what succeeds and see what fails and then move on from there. And I just found that so refreshing. Look, we're critics and analysts here, right? When we talk about WWE, NXT, and AEW and all of professional wrestling on the show. But you're not in this business if you're not a fan of pro wrestling. And if you haven't been a fan of professional wrestling for decades, which, yeah, I'm I'm aging myself here. I'm almost washed. I'm not there yet, but I'm almost washed. Um, I certainly 
have been a fan of this for a very long time. So to hear someone like Shawn Michaels take time out on a conference call like this to kind of call that out and almost reassure people, like we get it and we're fixing it and we're doing what we think is best. It's just great to hear. And it really does endear you to the organization uh, and to the process when you do hear someone say something like that. I'm just being candid. So anyway, I found the uh, post-show press conference to be enlightening. The pre-show press conference was solid as well. But really, they just bookended what was a tremendous uh, NXT premium live event, Halloween Havoc, one of their best shows of the entire year, maybe their best show, period, full stop of the entire year. I need to go back and think about it, probably rewatch it, and then compare it to some of what we saw previously. Worlds Collide was fantastic. Stand and Deliver was good as well. So I just kind of need to think on it, but a damn good show and a great way to wrap up a Saturday night. Uh, We are two weeks out from WWE Crown Jewel. Let's not forget we do this process every single time for a premium live event or a pay-per-view. So what's the process? We're talking uh, Ultimate Preview podcast, live show on Twitter Spaces, and then Instant Analysis podcast as soon as the show goes off the air. So we're going to have that for the remainder of the year. We have what? Crown Jewel, uh, WWE Survivor Series, AW Full Gear, NXT, uh, deadline and ROH final battle. I don't know if I'm going to be able to watch it, but if I do, we'll probably do that with the NXT show. So a few more of these left before 2022 is out. And don't forget the getting over wrestling podcast still has our year end awards, the meaties coming up in December. So there's tons of stuff here to get sink your teeth into and get excited about. I should also mention we're getting back in the wrestling interview game before I fully get out of here. Just last week, interviewed Mr. Money in the Bank, Austin Theory from WWE. That should be coming on an episode in the near future. We're going to try to get another interview or two and group them all together. We'll see. Maybe it'll just come out this week. Look for that. Great interview. It was awesome talking to him. And yeah, we're going to be doing more of those now that the college football season is kind of in its latter stages and 2023 is approaching with football season almost over. We're getting geared up again to become one of your uh, key stops for professional wrestling interviews right here at the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Anyway, I'm off on a tangent. Let's wrap this up. It's been a late night. Thank you all for joining us for our NXT Halloween Havoc Instant Analysis. Please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, tweets about wrestling all week long, your opportunity to send us DMs and tweets, questions, comments for the show. We will read them live on the air. Also, please do not forget that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So leave those five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Take a few extra moments to leave a five-star written review on Apple. Let everyone know how much you love the show. Tell them why they should subscribe. We would greatly appreciate it. One more time, thank you all for joining the Silver King Adam Silver team. That is I here in the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast for your NXT Halloween Havoc instant analysis. With all of that said, it's time for me to sign off, drink a beer, and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.